everybody. Welcome to Wednesday night service. Amen. Who is glad to be in the house of the Lord on Wednesday night? We are going to have a great time. You picked a wonderful evening to come to church with this springtime weather. Nick and Lawrence, can we have a hand just for just for giving? Amen. Yeah. All right. All right, that, okay, that's enough, please. All right, thank you. All right. So uh, anyway, praise the Lord. We are going to have a great time. Uh, Pastor and Mrs. Pastor are freshly in from New York. They just came in a couple hours ago. So amen. I was like, I didn't think they were going to actually be able to make it tonight, but here they came in the door because they love Jesus, amen, and they love being with the church family. Okay, well, let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. We are going to open up by speaking some words of faith over the United States of America because we believe that America is coming to Jesus. Can I get an amen tonight? Amen. Amen. All right, let's say these words together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And in unity, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. We declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school, and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Hallelujah. You may be seated. We're going to go over a few announcements here, and then uh, we'll get into some praise and worship time tonight. But want to remind you that this Sunday is baby dedications, all right? And so we got four or five babies being dedicated, and uh, if you have a baby that you want to dedicate, then praise God. Just go ahead and sign up for me tonight, so I've got your information, all right? But that is this Sunday, and it's going to be a great time, a special time, amen? Also, I want to let you know that if you want to play softball, you go talk to Robert Valdez. There's the man right there, and you're like, hey, I'm not good at softball. We aren't looking for good at this point. We're just looking for, I mean, people, amen? So, uh, Praise the Lord, you know. If you can spell softball, you're on the team, okay? So, there we go. Um, next, we got church work day coming up. Church work day, yeah. Contain the excitement, all right? I mean, I just, wow. That was overwhelming, an overwhelming response. I know. Um, yes, Easter's coming up, so we're going to do church work day on Saturday, April 2nd from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. we got some spring cleaning outside to do and a few projects here and there. And I believe uh, James Browning's in charge of that. So anyway, um, yeah, we, we need your help. We want to be ready for Easter. And anyway, so thank you. And I'll expect a better response on Sunday. I, all right, I'm going to give you time to let this mull over in your head, but... I know you're just going to be real excited on Sunday morning. Uh, Easter, April the 17th, coming up less than a month away. And so um, I know as of Sunday we needed 700 more eggs. We're doing several thousand eggs. Um, I don't know how many came in Sunday, but I'll just encourage you. We need more eggs and hard candy. If you could bring that in, that would be great at the front info booth there. And we want to bless all the kids. We got the, there's going to be an Easter performance, uh, the egg hunt, family photo booths around here. Uh, we're going all out. We want to, uh, I mean, absolutely reach Barstow for Jesus that day and let them know that Jesus is alive. Amen. All right. Very, very good. Well, who knows what time it is now?
Happy time. All right. Let's see here. If you need an envelope, raise your hand, and the ushers are going to give you one. And we're going to open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Yeah. Galatians 6. Yes. Amen. Really, I'm going to be in the New King James on this particular one, Galatians chapter 6. And if you're giving online, you can go to hdwc.org slash giving. But Galatians chapter 6, going to look at verses 7 through 9. This is some good stuff right here. The Apostle Paul encouraging us. Amen. It says, do not be deceived. Well, that's, that's some straightforward stuff right there. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So you reap what you sow. And I got to tell you, if you're not getting any harvest into your life, maybe it's because you haven't planted any seed. The farmer can't go out there in in, uh, October and say, hey, where's all the harvest at? If he never planted any seed in the springtime. There is seed time and harvest. And this works across the board with every area of your life. So if you need some financial harvest, you got to sow some seed. Uh, Verse 8 says, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or if we faint not. And so I'm telling you tonight, if you've been planting that seed and you're like, well, I haven't seen the harvest yet. Hey, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't use your words or don't use, you know, something else to dig up that seed. You got to know that it is working and in due season, you definitely will reap. Well, how do you know that? Because God will not be mocked. If God said it, it's going to happen. And maybe sometimes it takes a little longer than what you had planned, but that doesn't matter. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. And so if you've been planting that seed, stand on the word of God tonight and realize that you are going to reap a harvest in due season. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, let's stand up together tonight. Praise the Lord. We're going to speak some faith over our tithes and our offerings because we do everything by faith around here. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And so we're going to even give by faith. Amen. Let's say this together. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, I forgot one thing, uh, and it's this. um, uh, We got all new coffee bar tables, and and, and it's awesome, and they're beautiful. We need to get rid of the old ones. And so Melinda, has, she said she'll make you a deal. You can get one for $5, or if nobody takes any, then you can even get 10 for $5, or you can just take them. So anyway, it's a a deal, the deal... We want them gone really bad. So uh, praise God. If you need a table, just go talk to Melinda. All right, let's go. Let's worship God tonight. Let's go. Let's stand tonight if we can. And feel free to worship at the altar with us. What can one... 
blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Pardon this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing this I plead, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. is that flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is that flow that makes me white as snow no other fount I know nothing but the blood of Jesus
stuff someday. It, it can't go with us anywhere, but I thank you, Jesus, that you're the one thing that we hold on to forever and ever. So let our hearts desire that, not all these things, but let our hearts desire you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you tonight. You are good and your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Can we give Jesus some praise tonight? Amen. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, that's, that is the absolute truth that there's all these people seeking after and, and, and chasing after and, and doing anything they can do to get more things that they can't keep anyway. You're not allowed to take it with you. You can't take that $100,000 truck to heaven, right? Amen. And you can't afford to put gas in it anyway down here. So let it go. Come on, that's a joke, it's a joke. But but seriously, I mean, come on, our hearts, we want Jesus, amen. Who's with me tonight? That you want Jesus, amen. Nothing else, I don't need anything else. All right, well, praise the Lord. Tonight, uh, if you haven't been with us on some of the Wednesday nights recently, we are uh, doing an expository study on the book of 1 Corinthians. And so just to play rewind a little bit, uh, really there's three main different types of sermons. Uh, you got your topical sermon, which is what I normally preach out of all these 15 years. You got your textual sermon, uh, which is, you know, that I do a lot of those too, where your points are just directly out of scripture. And then you've got the hardcore, deep, in-depth, expository study where you just go verse by verse by verse. And that's what we're doing. We've been going through the whole book of First Corinthians and it has been, I mean, we've seen some stuff. Uh, the, the Corinthians were a, a wild bunch of people. They, they lived in the city of Corinth. Uh, and the city of Corinth was really uh, quite crazy. It was wild. Again, a lot of people compare it to some of our West Coast cities. I would say it was a hybrid between Las Vegas and San Francisco, all right? Maybe a little Hollywood, too. But anyway, uh, just a wild place. And, uh, and so... Uh, it, it, 
Paul had to address some things with this church because instead of the church changing the culture around them, unfortunately, some of that sinful culture was starting to creep in to the church. And Paul, uh, he had to write a letter to these guys. In fact, he wrote a total of three letters. We've got two of them. We've got First and Second Corinthians. But before First Corinthians, there was actually a previous letter that sadly we don't have. But, uh, you know, I guess the Lord didn't think we needed that one. So uh, he writes them these letters to deal with some of the uh, issues they had going on. But here's the thing. They had good hearts. They were sincere. They loved the Lord. They were just uh, kind of getting caught up into some things. So if we could open our Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be tonight in chapter 10. Believe it or not, we are in chapter 10. I've been trying to cover uh, three chapters a week. This week, we're only going to be able to cover two chapters. And I'm in the New Living Translation uh, for, you know, in case you're following along, the NLT. It's a great translation uh, with, uh, you know, worded in the modern English. And uh, according to a lot of scholars that I've read after and talked to, uh, potentially the most accurate, especially in uh, the, uh, to the original Greek in the New Testament. But First uh, Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 10. And the reason that I'm only covering two chapters tonight is we are covering... Two of the most difficult chapters to explain and study in the, in, in the New Testament for sure, potentially in all the Bible. And I mean, I have been doing PhD level study and research and looking up the original words and, 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 and reading after commentaries and, and, and theologians and, and, and preachers all week long on this. And one thing that they've consistently said is, Chapter 10 and definitely chapter 11 is chapters that a lot of people just, they don't even want to get into because there's some difficult stuff that we're going to explain tonight that a lot of people have no idea about. And, uh, and, and one reason I've been happy to be doing a chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of an entire book of the Bible is because we've talked about a lot of things that I just don't normally think to talk about. Uh, you know, it, it seems like we've got other things to, to preach about and address, but we've covered a lot of things that don't normally get talked about, and we'll especially do that tonight. So uh, I pray that you'll listen up, hold on to your seats, and I'm going to ask myself, out of any book in the New Testament, why in the world did you pick 1 Corinthians, Pastor Dave? Couldn't you have picked something easier? But hey, it's all right. You're going to learn tonight. So who's ready to learn a little bit more about the Bible? Amen. Go a little bit deeper, and we're going to cover some things. All right? So uh, let's pray and dig right into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, so much for uh, your word, God. You are good, and your mercy endures forever. And Lord, as we open up your word tonight, I pray that you'll speak to us, you'll teach us some things, and show us some things. And Lord, I know a lot of this is stuff that we don't normally study, uh, but your word, we need all of it, God. We need to know as much as we can about every bit of it, because all scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, and righteousness. It's all profitable to us. So Lord, show us some things tonight and help us to learn and grow in our faith. In the name of Jesus, can someone say amen? All right, let's go. First Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start off here in verses one through eight in the NLT. All right, here it goes. Paul says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. And so he's talking about the Israelites that wandered in the desert for 40 years uh, because their complaining kept them out of the promised land. 
He says, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. I mean, yeah, Moses was the man. He was leading them out of slavery and into the promised land. But look at this. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. Uh, And just like tonight, you're all hearing the same spiritual food. You're all getting the same spiritual water. I'm not preaching a certain sermon to this section and then a different one to this section. It's an even playing field. You're all getting the same food tonight, amen? And it depends on, you know, if you're going to partake of it or if you're going to sit there and fall asleep. But keep in mind, I know how to find sleeping people and wake them up. All right. So, uh, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Verse 5. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why are we talking about this? What's all this about? Uh, Look at this. Verse 6. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. And so these people, unfortunately, they craved some evil things. They had seen the hand of God do miracles. And oftentimes I've heard people pray, God, if you would just show, you know, my brother a miracle, I know that he would serve you then. If you would just show, reveal yourself and do a miracle in this sinner's life, I know that they would just follow you. Listen, it doesn't work that way. I've seen people, the people that I've sometimes seen that have witnessed the miraculous things of God, if their heart ain't right, Miracles aren't going to keep them with God. They'll still wander off if their heart is craving evil things. I mean, I've seen people receive healings from cancer, seen their marriages restored. I mean, seeing them brought up off the deathbed, and then six months later, they don't read their Bible. They don't go to church. They're back doing the same old thing. And so these people in the wilderness, they had seen more miracles and greater things than probably anybody in this room. Can you imagine seeing the Red Sea part and you just walk right through there? They saw that, and yet it wasn't enough. They still uh, craved wrong things, sadly. And and even worse than that, they worshipped idols. And that's a common theme that I'll get back to that the Corinthian church was very guilty of uh, because the city of Corinth was full of sexual sin and the worship of idols. And uh, those are two things that the Lord does not like. All right. And so uh, continuing here, verse seven, as the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. What? And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did. What happened? It caused 23,000 of them to die in one day. Wow. I've heard of pandemics. I've heard of plandemics. I've heard of like bad things, but 23,000 people died in one day due to idolatry and sexual immorality. Now, I wasn't going to go there, but I feel I should actually show you this actual story. Hold your place there. For most of the lessons on this, I'm not going to go to other spots, but I think you need to see this. Hold your place. Put a bookmark there. And I'm going to take you to Numbers chapter 25 real quick and show you the actual story. And believe it or not, a total of 24,000 people died, but 23,000 were in one day. I guess the other 1,000 held on until the next day or something. But what we have here is a similar story uh, to what Paul was warning the Corinthians about. Um, and, and it's a story of the Israelites getting involved 
sadly, in sexual immorality and in idol worship. Now, in the Old Testament and in Corinth, the city of Corinth, the people often combined these two things together, and, and sadly, sometimes sexual acts were a part of the worship of their false gods. And that's why in Corinth, they, uh, they had, you know, prostitutes at the temple and all this stuff. And so Paul keeps warning the people, stay away from that, guys. That, is, that leads to nowhere good. You don't want to get involved with this. But here's what happened in uh, Numbers chapter 25, what Paul was talking about. And I'm going to read pretty quick here. Okay. It says, while the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. Well, you're thinking, well, that's what's so bad about them. They were terrible people. The, the Moabites were some of the worst people there was. They would have babies simply to kill them and sacrifice them to their gods. And so God said, stay away from these people. Don't interact with them. They're wicked. They're wrong. They're evil. And so what happens? The Israelite men show up and like, hey, these are some good looking ladies. And so they get connected with the local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. The same people that God rescued from 400 years of slavery that made a way through the Red Sea. They are now worshipping the gods of Moab. Another god. I mean, this obviously didn't make the Lord happy. Verse 3. And this way Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. Now we're getting ready to read some crazy stuff, and you're like, that happened? Yeah, well, I'm getting ready to read happened, and I, so I'm just going to go at it. The Lord issued the following command to Moses. Seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight, so his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worshiping Baal of Peor. Not everybody had to die, but those that stabbed God in the back and committed spiritual adultery, they left their wives for these wicked women. I mean, yeah, there was a price to pay. Just then, one of the Israelites, just at this moment, one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. Bad timing. Terrible timing. Verse 7. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron the priest, saw this, he jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear, okay, graphic warning, and rushed after the man into his tent. Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body into the woman's stomach, so the plague against the Israelites was stopped. Check out this verse, though, but not before 24,000 people had died. I mean, oh my gosh, that's, I mean, that's not encouraging. I know you didn't come on a Wednesday night after a hard day of work to hear such a story, but why is it important? Because in the New Testament, where we're at, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, stay away from idol worship. And stay away from that sexual immorality. And uh, he says here, let's look at verses 9 through 11. He talks about especially at the end of the age where you and I live. Verse 9, he said, Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And I've, you know, I want to die an old man at a ripe old age. I do not want to die from a snake bite. And my chances are really low because when I see a snake, I get, like, from here to New York City. I mean, I'm just, I'm gone fast. But anyway, verse 10, and don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. 
these things happen to them as examples for us. My father-in-law used to always say, nobody's useless. I mean, at least, you know, if nothing else, you can serve as a bad example. And I'm like, that's what they, they weren't useless. They served as a bad example. You know, you, you stick with your wife, men. Don't go chasing these ladies. And also, don't leave God. And so what? look at this last sentence here, though. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And if the Corinthians were at the end of the age, you and I are definitely at the end of the age. Now, notice here in uh, verse 9, it says, uh, don't put Christ to the test. Well, what does that mean? Don't put Christ to the test. Don't do something you know is foolish just to see if Jesus will rescue you. Just to see if you can get away with it. Like, oh, he said not to cross that line, but I did it and nothing happened. Well, God's got mercy. God's got grace. But after a while, quit being stupid and, 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 and messing around with that stuff. Because eventually, yeah, it's going to catch up to you. In fact, if you remember in Luke chapter 4, Satan was trying to tempt Jesus. He brought him up to the highest level of the temple and said, Jesus, hey, if you really are the son of God, just go ahead and jump off. Because the, the word says that he'll keep his angels charge over you. They'll protect you. Surely, I mean, if, if anybody's safe, Jesus, go ahead and jump off and the angels will just catch you. And Jesus said something very important. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. And so it's foolish of us to just see how much we can get away with before the hammer comes down or, eh, let, you know, don't play that game, all right? Let's look at verses 12 through 13. And I know that I'm moving at lightning speed tonight. I'm trying to cover a lot of ground because chapter 11 is where it's going to get real interesting. Verse 12, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. Thank you, Jesus. We do not want to fall. And here's verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, verse 13 is a verse that I, I preach on a lot. You all have heard me use this verse a lot of times because it's such a powerful verse. But, I, you know, I, I don't want to get into a whole lot on it, but the word temptations, that also is synonymous with trials and troubles. And so Paul's saying the temptations in Corinth that are all around you, the trials and the troubles you're going through— don't think that you're the only one dealing with it. Your brothers and sisters, they're all, we're all dealing with it. What you face is not different from what everyone else faces. Everyone deals with stuff. Don't think that you're the only one. So that's encouraging because when the devil says, man, you're a loser, you're lousy, you're a freak, you're the only one in that church dealing with anything, you can say, that's a lie because according to the word, I've got brothers and sisters in my church right now that are probably struggling with some of this stuff. But the good news is it doesn't stop there. God is faithful. Amen. He won't allow the temptation, the trouble, the trial, the struggle to be more than you can stand. He will always make a way through that thing for you. Let's give Jesus some praise for that one tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. And so these, uh, these next few verses... Paul addresses idol worship again and food offered to idols. We saw that last week. And so if you weren't here for that, uh, part of the trouble was uh, that in Corinth, the people would offer food to the idol. And of course, not surprisingly, the food didn't get eaten because idols aren't real. 
They're just a piece of wood, right? And so then people would come in and be like, hey, I'll just take that and go resell it at the market. And so you could get discounted meat that had been served to idols for a great price. And so the Christians were like, okay, what do I do here? Is it a sin to eat meat offered to idols? Or what about if I go to my friend's house and they cook me dinner and it was meat that had been offered to idols? Is it a sin? And so Paul kind of explains some of this. He's like, well, you know, it's not necessarily a sin, but if it's going to cause someone else around you to stumble and fall, then, then don't do it for their sake. But if no one around you has got an issue with it, then man, dig in, brother. Have some carne asada <laughs> that had been offered to an idol, right? All right, very good. That was the Pastor Dave translation. Barstow, that's the Barstow translation, right? Come on, somebody. Barstow's got some good food. All right, let's go to verse 23. Verse 23, I'm going to skip down to that. So Paul says, you say, well, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything's good for you. I'm allowed to do that. Yeah, but it's not good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And that's a key Christian principle that you need to know. And that is repeated all throughout Corinthians. Because people are arguing, yeah, but it's not technically a sin. The Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not. Okay, maybe it doesn't say specifically that, right? But is it good for you? Uh, You know, it doesn't say, thou shalt not eat 50 tacos on Taco Tuesday, you know? over there at Del Taco or whatever, but I mean, common sense, is that good for you? Is that really beneficial for you? Then don't do it, right? Or is that going to cause someone else to stumble? Then don't do it. And so one great thing that he was teaching the Corinthians that you can learn in 2022 is in, in my church and around other Christians, am I being a good example to those around me? Maybe I could, sure, maybe I could do this, but is it going to hurt somebody else? Is it going to be a bad example? And especially a church like ours that's full of children. We're a family church. And sometimes people don't, I, you know, I just, I find out all the time I'll talk to someone and they don't realize how many kids go to this church. There's like nearly as many kids as adults. And it, it shocks people, but we have so many kids here. Because Josh and Julie won't quit having them. And, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, the back row back there, there's 20 kids just on from that back row of parents right there. It's crazy. But we love it. That's what we're called to. We love it. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm not all these children's parents. I, I do have a lot of kids. But at the same time, I want to be a good example to all these little kids. And so uh, even for their sake, and a common theme all throughout Corinthians is, yeah, maybe you're allowed to do that. But should you? Right? Should you do that? How's that going to affect everybody else around you? And so I think that's a good thing for us at High Desert Word Center to keep in mind also. Just because technically it doesn't say thou shalt not, is it really beneficial though? All right. And so let's let's look down here at verses 31 through 33. And so Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's a great rule to live your life by. Can you do that thing? For the glory of God. Can you watch that TV show for the glory of God? Yeah, it's only PG-13. All right, brother, fine. But can you watch it to the glory of God? Would you watch it if Jesus was sitting in the room? I I mean, that's just between you and God, but would you watch it if he was sitting there? Hey, Jesus, come on over. I want you to see this. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, yes, they, they use your name in vain ten times, but, but seriously, I think you'll laugh at it. Uh, uh, can you do it to the glory? Can you eat that item to the glory of God? Can you smoke that thing to the glory of God? Yeah, but, I mean, it's legal now in California. Hey, light it up for Jesus, sister. Come on. Can you do it for the glory of God? I don't care if it's legal according to the state of California. How does God feel about it? Because our state endorses a lot of things that God's not super jazzed about, right? And, you know, and our country and everywhere else. And so they aren't my standard. Jesus is my standard. If I can't drink it or smoke it or chew it or eat it or watch it or touch it to the glory of God, then maybe I just won't do it. Thank you. Amen. Wow. You feeling that tonight? Is that is that the spirit or is that uh, awkward? Okay, let's go to verse 32. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't do, I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And so I don't believe that Paul is saying in that verse that I'm a man pleaser, not a God pleaser. Because in other scriptures, he's like, I'm trying to please God, not everybody else. But I, I, there's a great principle for us right there. I'm trying to, to be a good witness to everybody around me. I'm trying, you know, I, I'm not intentionally trying to rub people the wrong way and offend them. You know, that just by being a Christian, we rub enough people the wrong way. Have you noticed that? You know, you, some of the things that the Bible tells us, they get mad about. And we're not trying to make them mad. We're just trying to live our faith according to God's word. And it makes some people really mad. And so we're going to offend people as it is, but I'm not out there intentionally trying to do it, right? And so Paul says, I, 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 just, I don't just do what's best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And that's a great, mature Christian rule to live by. All right, let's go to chapter 11. I got through chapter 10 as fast as I could. Now, here it is, all right? Scholar after scholar, teacher after teacher, theologian after theologian that I have studied and read uh, says that this is, I mean, this is just a very difficult chapter to teach and to really interpret properly because some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about is not stuff that we seem like we really face in our culture and our day and age. And there's, you know... As much as we dig into some of it, there's, it's hard to interpret some of this for Western civilization in 2022. But I can tell you this much. I have dedicated myself to studying this hours and hours and hours and hours this week, okay? And previous weeks, but really, I've studied this a lot this week. So first of all, I want to say verse 1 should technically be a part of uh, chapter 10, but they, they, they put it in chapter 11. So anyway, it says this, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Praise God. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, uh, you realize the Bible wasn't put into chapter and verse until 1227 AD. And so uh, this was just all one big letter to the Corinthians. And they did a really good job breaking it up into chapter and verse. But there's a few spots like this where I'm like, Technically, that fits more with chapter 10, but anyway, whatever. So Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Is that, you know, because he's prideful and arrogant and, and like, hey, you guys should uh, follow me. No, that was actually a really good thing that he was saying right there. Uh, because in Corinth, let's just face it, there was a massive shortage of good godly men to look up to. 
And so Paul was like, guys, you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I ain't perfect, but I'm living the life. I, I am following Jesus, and I know that it's hard to find a good godly man in Corinth that you can role model yourself after, but follow me as I follow Christ. That's a big burden to put on your shoulders, people. For you, as a Christian, to tell other people, follow me, imitate me as I follow Christ. That's a burden to live with right there, that Christian leaders live with. Because you're to follow your leaders and your, and, and, you know, your Christian leaders. You're to imitate and pattern your lives after them. And that's a burden to live with, realizing, you know, as a Christian leader, like, man, I'm telling people, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. I better follow Christ. <laughs> I better live as good as I can live so I don't cause someone to stumble. So, anyway, that's some of what Paul's talking about there. Now let's get down to the nitty-gritty, <laughs> to the good stuff, all right? We're going to talk here about um, men's hair lengths, okay? And we're going to talk about women wearing headscarves in the church. You're like, oh, I came to hear about faith tonight. Well, just follow me, okay? we got to study this. This is a, some interesting stuff that um, if you're from more of a uh, religious type of area, like you know, I guess like we're from in the Midwest, the Bible Belt, you know, you will still to this day see some arguments over some of these things that I'm getting ready to talk about. Out here in good old California, there's a lot I love about California, and one of them is most of the time don't have to deal with super old school religious people, which I'm, I'm glad for. You know, no one's coming in and, you know, uh, anyway, saying some of these things that we're going to talk about. But, but I have run into some of it in California, all right? So um, let's get down to some of this. I'm going to read a few verses at a time and and uh, explain it to the best understanding that we have. All right, so let's look here at chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. And so Paul had said, follow me as I follow Christ. And then verse 2, I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. And so this is basically, that's a rare compliment to the Corinthians. You don't see a lot of compliments to them in this book. This is one of the few times he's like, you guys, you guys are doing actually a good job with this right here. But, uh, but look at verse 3. But there is one thing I want you to know. Here it goes. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. All right? Now we're going to break some stuff down here a few verses at a time. But we know that this, this is not a knock on women. And saying that they're inferior or less than or not as smart or whatever. That's not what he's saying at all. Uh, But there is a divine order set up in Scripture. And we could argue it with our 2022 mindset, but that's not going to change God's word. And so, you know, Ephesians 5.23 says specifically, The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Now, in a lot of spots, we'll see that it talks about the equality, that men and women are equal spiritually, right? And in fact, a lot of times, women are much more spiritually mature than a lot of the men that I know. And, and in fact, dating all the way back to the Middle Ages, every church record we have, women go to church at an insanely higher rate than what men do. So in a lot of ways, you could argue, statistically speaking, that women are more spiritual than men a lot of the time. Um, and then the scripture points out uh, in uh, Ephesians 5 that men are physically stronger than women, right? It says that spiritually they're the same, and intellectually they're the same. Now physically, men are stronger than women. And so, it, you know, it's telling the men, hey, treat her like a lady. Do, 
you know, lift the heavy things, open the doors. And now, in, you know, in our day and age, that's hate speech and bigotry and you're terrible and mean and, and all this stuff. But, it's, uh, it, hey, it's the Bible and it's science, okay? So I'm not, I don't even want to have to discuss all that crazy stuff. But this is uh, Paul saying it's set up this way, that the, that the, the head of every man is Christ. Brother, if you're a Christian man, Jesus is your head. He's in charge of you. You better get it together, right? You better act right. Now let's get down here to verses 4 through 6, all right? It says, a man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should just cut off all her hair. But since it's shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. What in the world did I just read? I mean, <laughs> what that, to, to us in 2022, that is just, that, that, first of all, we're like, why would you even have to mention that? What are, what are you talking about? And, uh, and so first of all, remember it says that a man is uh, dishonoring his head. Well, who is the head of man? Okay. And then it says that the woman is dishonoring her head or the wife is dishonoring her head. And according to Scripture, not your opinion, but according to Scripture, who would that head be? The man, the husband, right? And so I have studied this. I have listened to every possible theologian and teacher that I uh, respect and, and, and follow after. And the answer to what is he talking about and how come in this church on a Wednesday night, a holy, God-fearing church, none of the women are wearing head coverings. Don't feel bad, ladies. <laughs> and some of the men are wearing hats. This goes against everything. that we're, Don't look around the room to see who it is. <laughs> oh, I'll find him. No, 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 no. But why is it that we're not asking you to leave? And like, ladies, we're going to have to ask you to leave. Men that are wearing hats, you need to go. And in a minute, we'll see men that have long hair. You're out of here. Uh, well, why, why, are we, why are we okay with all this in, in our day and age? And so I hesitate to take any passage of Scripture and say that was talking about and referring to their local custom and culture of the day. I don't like to use that answer because then somebody can come up and say, yeah, I know it says thou shalt not steal, but that was just their custom. So, hey, I can steal. That was, that was just be, that was, it made sense to them at that time. Or I know it says thou shalt not kill, but that was just applying, you know, to the ancient Middle East. And so where we live, yeah, I don't want anybody to ever be able to use that. But literally, the answer to what we're looking at here is honestly no other answer than this was definitely referring specifically to the local culture and custom of the day. Now, here's the deal. In this time period, now listen to me, all right, and especially in the wild city of Corinth, good holy women wore a head covering or scarf when they left the home. Now, it's, even to this day in many parts of the world, women wear head scarves and cover. That's a part of the Middle Eastern culture even to this day. Some of you soldiers have been over there, and I've heard stories, you know, like the lady walks out of the house, they'll just, they'll beat her up, and I'm like, I can't even comprehend that, but that's their culture. And, and, and so back in this day and age, if a good woman 
a, a holy woman, a godly woman, she did not leave the house without a head covering over her head. And one of the, there's a few reasons for this. One reason was, you know, a woman's hair in that day and age, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to be gross, but I'm just being real. It was sexualized in a much greater way than it is today. Men found that to just be, you know, a whole thing in and of itself. And so men were just obsessed with it. And so uh, this really caused a lot of, believe it or not, a lot of men to lust if they saw a woman with her long hair. And, uh, and, and it was just a thing. But another main reason that Paul was like, hey, ladies, put the scarf on. In Corinth, the prostitutes were able to be told apart because they weren't wearing headscarves. <laughs> and there were so many prostitutes in this city that it was real easy to be able to pick them out, you know, especially down by the temples and down by the, you know, the bad parts. Uh, if, if they're like, oh, okay, I, I see. Hey, you know, can I talk to you? And, and it was just a bad thing. And so Paul was like, you don't come to church like that. We don't want you getting confused. We don't want you damaging your behavior. And, 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 and it's just not a godly thing for you to go out of the house like that. And, uh, and it was enticing to the men. And I, and I know for us, at, at least for me, I'm like, so? I mean, I, I don't get that. That's not, you know, whatever. But to them, it was a big thing in this day and age. And uh, as we'll see in a minute, uh, he was, uh, for the men, he's like, men don't have long hair. And it was also a thing because specifically in chapters 5 and 6, I always found it weird when he was listing all of the sexual sins, he lists male prostitutes. And I'm like, why did you specifically say male? Well, that was also a big thing. And you could tell the male prostitutes and the homosexuals a lot of times uh, because it was men with long hair. And so basically that was their way of advertising, like, my services are available to you should you need them. And that, uh, that was a thing. And so Paul writes to the church and it's like, you know what, to avoid <laughs> uh, getting mixed up to a, and, and, and to avoid looking like this, uh, I, I, women should not come to church and, and pray like this. It could be really taken wrong. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Isn't the wow, yeah. <laughs> this is going to go down as a sermon with the least amens that I've ever preached. It's going to be great, all right? Uh, but, uh, you know, and so Paul, was, he's really telling them, the women, and, and we'll see more, you know, come to church modestly. Now, that's still a good rule to follow, right? I don't care if you're wearing a scarf over your head or not. If you want to wear one, then go ahead. I mean, I'm not going to judge you for that. But I'm also not going to judge you uh, for not wearing a head scarf. You do need to dress modestly, though. That hasn't changed, right? You, you need to dress right, and uh, men and women. But it, it's not good, you know, and I praise God we've got a church full of holy women, and I mean that. I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, in a, you know, condescending or in a fake way. I mean that. I thank God that High Desert Word Center is full of good, holy, godly women because I've been to some churches, and it's awful, you know, uh, ladies just not dressing very godly, and you've got men trying to hear the word of God, but they keep doing this. And, and I'm not trying to be funny, but that's not good. That's not right, uh, to entice somebody else into that. And so the good old, I've been waiting to use this phrase in a sermon for years, and tonight's my night. Here it goes. Modest is hottest. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Somebody retweet that. There we go. Yeah. Modest is hottest. I've been waiting for it a long time. And so if nothing else out of this strange sermon tonight, we get to use that phrase, all right? And so uh, also Paul addresses, as you saw, men wearing hats in church. 
Now, I don't personally wear a hat in church just because of how I was raised, but this would also fall in line with the same rules as women wearing a head covering. It was really more applicable to their society and culture at the time, okay? Uh, let's go to verses 7. Through, you thought that was fun. This is going to be even more fun. Look at verse 7. A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory, and woman reflects man's glory. For the first man didn't come from a woman. That's the truth. Yeah, the first man, you know, God created from the dust. But the first woman came from man. And man was not made from woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. Now, that verse 10, potentially one of the most you know, and, and I'm not, I'm just being honest with you. One of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to actually give a proper interpretation to. Uh, and, and I've heard so many different things on that, but I know this much that he is telling us here that, especially uh, in, 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 in covering your head or in being modest, it's honoring, especially to a married lady, to your husband, the head of your house. You know, it's not right, you know, for any anybody, man or woman, uh, but, you know, a, a married person to go be out there flaunting their stuff. That's not respectful to your husband or to your wife, is it? Thank you. All right. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's the truth. And so, and he also says, and the angels are watching. And there's a lot of different ideas on what this phrase is talking about. But I do know this much that the angels are always surrounding us and watching us, right? And we like to claim that verse and like, man, I'm surrounded by the angel armies. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. You like that Pentecostal? I can go. I can go. I can dance. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, we like to quote those, but we should also remember, hey, put some clothes on because the angels are watching, sister, or brother, you know. There's those same angels that are guarding you on every side. They're also, you know, watching what we do. And uh, anyway, a little food for thought for you. Uh, let's look at verses 11 through 12. I need 8 o'clock to get here as fast as it can. All right. Verses 11. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, check this out, every other man was born from a woman. And everything comes from God. There's literally only one man that was not born of a woman, and it was Adam. God formed him from the dust of the ground. And every man after that, including Jesus, was born to a woman. So, men, we ought to treat the ladies with some respect. They, you know, hey, we wouldn't be here without them. Amen. I, just, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my mom. Yeah. Um, but I love what he's saying here. Men need women, and women need men. And God set it up this way from the beginning. Uh, we bring balance to each other, right? Even in church services, we balance each other out. And, uh, and, and most importantly, though, you know, uh, men came from women and all this. But most importantly, as he says, everything, everyone comes from God. Amen? And that's just the truth of the matter. All right, verses 13 through 16, let's go. He said, judge for yourselves. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering your head? Well, right, you know, I'd say in 2022, like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. But back then, I now I get it why it would be wrong for that. Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? 
And isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy? For it's been given to her as a covering. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this. He's like, this is our, this is our church custom. And, and neither do God's other churches. And so, yeah, verse 14 seems pretty wild to us to think about, like, it's shameful for a man to have long hair. And, you know, I should have brought my pictures in from college because I had a pretty good mop top back in college. It was, <laughs> some of you have seen them. I'd rather them not be released to the public, but I may do that someday. But uh, he's saying here, it's shameful for a man to have long hair. Now, that's not something that we would really in our day and age think much about. And do I think it's shameful for a man to have long hair? No, I don't think it's shameful for a man to have long hair. Uh, but I get it why it would have been back then. He could have been mistaken for something entirely different, right? Can you imagine an 80s hair band in Corinth? <laughs> All right, anyway, so yeah, the, it wouldn't have gone good. But, uh, but uh, in other parts of the Bible, God commanded some men to actually have long hair, right? Samson, in the book of Judges, God was like, you need to have long hair, Samson. You're never allowed to cut your hair or you'll lose your strength, right? And so this proves to us even further that this was very specifically a cultural thing because some men were told, hey, you need to have long hair. It is a sin for you to cut your hair. Then it, some men in the New Testament, hey, it's sinful for you to have long hair. Go get a haircut. Well, is the Bible contradicting itself? No, but this really does show us that this was something that really did apply very specifically to these people in Corinth. All right, now I'm running low on time, but I got to finish this chapter. That's going to put us behind for next week. Can I have five more minutes, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, all right. Promise not put you asleep, but we're going to talk about communion because these people even screwed up communion. And, and, and part of the deal uh, with their communion is in our Western society, I love communion. What do we do? We got a little bitty cup of grape juice, right? And even after COVID, now it's prepackaged. And so you don't even have to, like, worry about getting, you know, our germs in your, in your drink. But we get these cute little cups where you get about two ounces of grape juice. And you get a little thin wafer that's probably not even one calorie, right? And so we, we take communion, the Lord's Supper, this way. Now, these early Christian churches, when they talked about the Lord's Supper... They meant supper. They, they weren't just talking about a cute little oyster cracker and an ounce of grape juice. They literally had full-out dinners together on uh, some of these churches on the weekly basis. And so if you've been here very long, you know that, let's just face it, some of the best times we have together are Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? Because we have pitch-in dinners. Some people would call them potluck dinners. And if you haven't been here for one, Hundreds of people in this room, we've got tables, we've got a thousand pounds of food, and we're just having the best time of our lives as a family. These guys did this like every week and called it the Lord's Supper. And what we're going to run into here is uh, they got a little wild with their supper, and it did not turn into communion time, right? So let's look here at uh, verses 20 through 22. He says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Uh-uh, no. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some people go hungry while others get drunk. Good Lord. And so, really, literally what we had here is people bringing their own meal, bringing their own food, but it was to share just like we do around here. And what would happen is 
and hey, sometimes we catch this. Me and Robert know who the repeat offenders are. But some people, they're going and getting their seconds while some of us haven't even got our first share. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, we laugh about it. It's funny because I don't really care. But some people get really upset about it. So these guys, they're at church. They're getting into fights. Some, some people are bringing in their whole meal, sneaking in a little bottle of something, something. And they're getting drunk and feasting and gorging themselves. And someone else didn't get any food at all. And what you got to realize, in fact, well, I'll show you here in a minute, but it says it, it, it was shameful to the poor. Some of the people in the Corinthian church were rich people. You had upper class, white collar people. Then you had very, you know, lower economic people. And for some of them, coming to church to get taken the Lord's Supper, I've heard some guys say that some of these churches refer to it as the agape dinner, the, the love dinner. Uh, they, some of these poorer people, this was their one chance a week at getting a decent meal, honestly. And we look at that and we're thinking like, that's silly. Dude, you live in the United States of America. You eat meat every day as long as you want to. And you, I mean, you've got it really, really good. I've been to countries where they they eat meat maybe once a week. And that's, that's you know, oh, good, it's Saturday. We get to eat meat today. The rest of the week, it's rice every day in a lot of countries of the world. You don't maybe know that, but a whole lot of countries of the world. Rice and maybe some vegetables or fruit every day, six days a week. And maybe on one day, you know, in Nicaragua, on the one day that the missionary comes through town that we work with, that's the one day of the week they get meat. They're excited. Wouldn't it be sad if one of us rich Americans came in there and just ate it all before these guys got it? Father, that is shame on you. That's awful. And so that's what's going on here. So some guys are bringing in, you know, they, they've got bringing in their steak and lobster and hitting back some, you know, some alcohol apparently. And while others are just not getting anything at all. And Paul's like, you guys, and, and you, you can just see it. He's like, you guys, what is wrong with you? Grow up. You're fighting at church over this. And so uh, look at verse 22. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? You want me to praise you? Well, I'm certainly not going to praise you for this. So I'm getting on to you. I am, I am disciplining you. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves over this. And so uh, Paul's saying, hey, if you're that hungry, eat before you come to church. And, and when you come, share with everyone. I'm going to quickly read the next few verses because um, we read these verses every month when we take communion. And so you've, you've heard us read these a, a thousand times, but let's read it in this context now. And so he's like, you want me to praise you? I'm certainly not going to praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's when you and I usually take the bread and we eat it. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Why? For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Thank you, Lord. Jesus is coming again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. 
And so I always, you know, take that scripture seriously, but in the full context, uh, you can see how these Corinthians were taking it unworthily. They were there for the food, not for the honoring of Jesus. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so we will not be condemned along with the world. And so, you know, there's so many things we could go through with all that right there. But sometimes there's reasons why things happen to people, right? And, you know, why did this happen to him? Like, I'm not God. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not your judge. I, I, you know, a good Christian man dies. A good Christian person loses their job. Why? I don't know, and I'm not going to make up a reason. That's, I'm, I'm not crazy. But the Bible does tell us some reasons why some things could happen. And so one reason out of, you know, probably many, but one reason why some Christians have been weak and sick and some have even died is because they took communion in a disrespectful, unworthy manner. Now, is that every Christian? No, that's probably a, you know, a small percentage. But uh, at least that would explain some of it uh, because they were taking communion, the Lord's Supper, in an unworthy manner. And so in verse 31, he says, examine yourself. When we take communion, oh, you better believe it. That's why we give everybody. I'm like, guys, take a minute and judge yourselves right now. If you need to repent, do it now before you take that stuff. Don't do it if, you, if you've got something wrong in your heart and you know it and you just aren't going to do anything about it, don't take communion that day. Lord, I, you know, I hate this guy. I know I want to blah, 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 do this to him. Like, okay, well, if you're just going to hold on to that, I would stay away from communion that day until you're ready to repent, until you're ready to let God do a work in your life. And so always make sure you have a pure heart before you take communion. Let's look at the final two verses, all right? So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Do not run to the front of the line, okay? If you are really hungry, just eat at home so you won't bring judgment on yourself when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Ooh, I wonder what those were. All right? So, <laughs> praise the Lord. I don't know how to end this. We did it. We made it through chapters 10 and 11. Yeah! Woo! So I realized that that was some pretty wild stuff that we're like, I don't get how that applies to me. Well, just think of it at least this way. Uh, chapter 10, we want to please Jesus. We're going to stay away from idols and sexual immorality for sure. And chapter 11, I mean, I'm going to dress modest. I don't want to cause others to stumble. You know, we'll go that with it. And also when we take communion, I'm not there for the meal. I'm there to honor Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand up together tonight. Praise God. You just had like a college-level theology class on 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. That was crazy. All right, let's get Josh up here. Uh, can I have my prayer team come up? Uh, we're going to make this quick tonight, but if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're like, I haven't been wearing my head covering. Will you pray for me? No, that's you know, you just that's between you and God. I'm not going to. But uh, if you need prayer for something, Come on up, we want to pray for you. And if nothing else, let's just take the last minute here to worship the Lord and, and tell Him how much we love Him. Amen. Let's go. What can wash away my sin? 
close out in prayer tonight. Amen. I, uh, I hope everybody was blessed and received the word. Amen. And and again, you know, it's, it's just interesting going through some of this stuff that we just don't typically talk about. Definitely, I've never uh, discussed any of this stuff in a sermon before, but it's really cool to cover it because we want you to be educated in the Bible, right? You, you want to be educated? You want to know what the Bible says, even if it's stuff that, you know, isn't your normal everyday thing. So that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Remind you, Sunday's going to be awesome. Uh, going to have the baby dedications and probably discuss some end time stuff a little bit more and uh, keep you in the loop on some of that stuff. So it's, uh, it's been really good. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. We'll do our Barstow Faith Confession and we will let you go. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for what we have seen in the word of God tonight. And Lord, we uh, we thank you for your word. Every single bit of it, Lord, e- even the uh, kind of more obscure parts, even the, the parts that we don't think about a whole lot. We know that you put it all there, Lord, for us to teach us what we need to know. 
And so let us take this word tonight and carry it in our hearts that we might not sin against you, just like King David said, Lord. And we thank you that you are using us to be the light of the world to Barstow, to Fort Irwin, to the Marine Base, to the Railroad, to Victorville, to all the high desert, everywhere we go, Lord. Use us to show the love of Jesus this week. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name, can someone say amen? Amen. All right, let's go ahead and bless Barstow tonight. Amen. We declare that Barstow is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is strong. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you Sunday.